Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about walking the earth. I've recently had some interesting experiences that have caused me to blow up my planned uh, release schedule for the month of September, even to such an extent that because there were things that I wanted to talk about, not just in this September, but in a September, I might be bumping topics out an entire year until next September. We'll see how it goes. But some things have happened that have made me want to take another look back at the limited number of intersections between the Inappropriate Conversations podcast and the Walk the Earth podcast. It seemed to me that now might be a really good time to do a look back or an overview on Walk the Earth. Uh, just because, not because the show's ending, but because the show has hit a moment where I think it's ready to take a turn. I'll talk about that in just a moment. The first thing, though, is that with the release of Walk the Earth 30 very early in September, of a podcast that was actually recorded live before an audience at the very end of August in 2015, I have hit my 200th podcast recording. I had reached number 170 in inappropriate conversations, and though I don't, normally don't call out the numbers, this one's 171, and I hit number 30 on Walk the Earth. Now, none of this includes appearances that I've made on other shows over the years. I've made guest appearances on podcasts like Atomic Trivia of War 9000 and Take Him With You, Greetings from Nowhere, Movies You Should See, Starbase 66, and others. But for the most part, just on my own feed, using this own sort of audio blog sort of format for both shows, which can be found at inappropriateconversations.org. I thought it might be time to do some retrospective, and the other thing that was drawing me out in this direction was where I stand today on SoundCloud. I've been in the process for a little bit more than a year now, over at SoundCloud.com slash IC underscore Greg, of putting little clips, moments, in some cases significant blocks, where maybe there's an entire work being shared, an entire reading of sorts, but in other cases, just little clips to give an audio hint of what that particular original episode of Inappropriate Conversations was all about. At the website, the blurb does, I think, a pretty good job of explaining the topic, going beyond just the relatively short titles. But sometimes it's better to hear it than it is to read it. And on SoundCloud, I'm up, you know, I'm up into the high 80s at the time of this recording meaning I'm roughly halfway there in terms of providing clips for all of the Inappropriate Conversations podcasts. It's just that chronologically, I haven't gotten all the way to the point of hitting Walk the Earth yet. That Walk the Earth as a podcast started at a certain point in time, and I feel like I haven't really done that show uh, as much promotional credit, I guess is the way I would word it, by talking about what has been happening in the past. Because in neither example, in neither Inappropriate Conversations nor in Walk the Earth, is there necessarily a throughput line or a narrative here? It isn't necessary that somebody has heard all of the previous episodes, and it's really unusual that there's ever a point in time where there's back-to-back -back episodes where one relates to another. And even when they do, I don't know that I'd describe that earlier show as prerequisite material. But there has been at least one past moment where the content of Inappropriate Conversations and Walk the Earth have dovetailed. And I think I'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, 
The purpose of the show, again, for want of a better word, is to stop and recognize that 200 of these podcasts have been recorded and released, and also to take a better look back at Walk the Earth, because unlike what I'm doing on SoundCloud, Walk the Earth hasn't gotten the same amount of attention that Inappropriate Conversations has. Having said that, I am tempted to go out to SoundCloud and put the most recent Walk the Earth, just the whole show, stick it out there. It's very tempting, in part because of how you, unusual it was to have recorded the show live in front of an audience, and how immediate the information feels. And maybe I'll still go back and do a clip of it later. I haven't really decided what I want to do in terms of a promotional clip from Walk the Earth. With inappropriate conversations, there's, there's not necessarily too much in terms of segments. Uh, there's different drummers every single show. But I still have not found any difficulty finding a moment to pull out, but uh, Walk the Earth is somewhat different. I tend to be looking at a very single question in a very focused way, and with that being the case, it's hard to just lift a piece out of it and say, this is a good example of what the whole Walk the Earth episode is all about. The other thing I want to do, though, is try to put a little bit of geography against it, I guess, for want of a better word, and without you know, naming too many names, because I said from the start that the Walk the Earth podcast would not be about naming and shaming churches. Might be a little bit there in terms of at the denominational level, but I wouldn't be calling out individual churches or pastors. But I do want to give a sense of starting in the middle of 2013, where we were from a church perspective and where we went, because it is perhaps relevant to know what questions I was gathering along the way, because from the very first visit to a different church in early June of that year, there were three full months that went by pretty much before that first Walk the Earth podcast came out, meaning that questions were accumulating. In fact, a certain critical mass of questions had to accumulate in order for me to feel like I was actually had enough material or wanted to address it this way. It was always possible that I was going to talk about the questions on just weave them into inappropriate conversation shows. But I didn't want to do that for a reason, and thus this is the very first time that there's this kind of an intersection where inappropriate conversations is using a topic to talk about walk the earth in this kind of a direct way. The other thing that's going to happen to that September schedule is me getting kind of my head around whether and how I want to discuss the events of Pride 48 in Las Vegas this year. They're on my mind. The question is, Am I going to talk about what's on my mind? I haven't decided yet. So the second Inappropriate Conversations episode planned for September is also probably going to get moved to accommodate a different topic. It may be lighter in material. It may be more of a just a what's on my mind kind of a show. The show that would be a nostalgia show if I waited 10 years to talk about it, but I don't intend to wait 10 years. So we will see. On the other side, then, of a quick promotional break, I want to dive into the questions of Walk the Earth what those answers were, and what, what what perhaps inspired them from the process of going from church to church. Because as I've mentioned many times on Walk the Earth, and perhaps occasionally here on Inappropriate Conversations, there were well more than a dozen churches that got visited as we left one and went to another, seeking a new and better church home. And all of it started with a promo that was put out on July 28, 2013, it was actually a promo specifically related to Inappropriate Conversations 126, an upcoming topic talking about the concept of being less than human. But at the very end of that show, I introduced what was going to be coming next. And what was coming next 
was Walk the Earth. Nerd Hurdles, where every week, Jacob and Mandy will help you navigate the labyrinth of nerddom. Don't be afraid. But you will be. No, you won't. You will be. Nerd. This is simplysyndicated.com. I refer to it as the church we left behind. And it's not that I'm trying to insult anybody by not giving that church a name. I will say that it was a United Methodist Church and a fairly mainline United Methodist Church with a good group of people, including, frankly, some good people that we left there who are perhaps even still attending, for all I know. But I don't want to name and shame. So the last time we attended worship services at the church we left behind was on May 19th of the year that this transition began, 2013. Some friends of ours in the church had given a fairly passionate address to the congregation at the end of the worship service on what their issues were, and it confirmed in my mind that a lot of their issues were consistent with mine. One of the things that was the tipping point that was unique to me, though, was that I was working with the Staff Parish Relations Committee, the human relations group of the church, and that group had been told by the district superintendent, the boss of the local pastor, that we were going to be getting a new pastor, and that new pastor was married to a woman who also was a United Methodist pastor. So we were going to have a pastor whose wife was serving in a different church, and this meant that there was a certain question in terms of which one of the two churches was going to manage where the family lived. In the United Methodist model that's still out there today, typically the church provides the pastor with a home. That can either be a stipend on where to live or an actual parsonage, a house owned by the church that that church's pastor lives in. This is not as unusual as it may sound to somebody who's never been part of church life. The Methodist church, as it moved to the United States from England, was basically a church led by what we would call itinerant pastors. At the time, colonial America, it wasn't unusual for a church to not have its own local pastor at all, but for pastor on horseback, if you will, to visit multiple churches in a circuit, and therefore you wouldn't necessarily need to have a permanent home for a permanent pastor in a location, and all the same, that congregation would have an obligation for providing a, a place, for providing shelter and accommodation for the traveling pastor as that pastor would come to town. Well, the district superintendent upset me greatly, and it was the straw that broke the camel's back, by suggesting that her solution to what was, in the minds of some people in our church, a problem, a problem that we might have a parsonage that our pastor didn't live in, or the other church across town might have a parsonage that, that wasn't being used for them. She was going to force this married couple to live separately for conceivably the entire tenure of his service to our church and her service to the other church. I drew the line there, and I walked away. The next week, we were on vacation, and so I didn't visit a church. But starting the week after that, not leaving too much of a gap, we immediately began visiting other locations, and for the months of uh, the first two weeks of June, we visited other United Methodist churches. One of our goals was to visit every church that anybody who was part of my small group, part of my Sunday school, if you will, anybody who went to go to another location, we would visit that church with them at some point along the way, especially if we gave them enough time to find out if they liked it and were thinking about joining it. But the first place we visited was just your classic, stereotypical, what is the closest nearby United Methodist Church that you haven't visited before? Just leave this one and go down the road to the one that's the most like it. Now, this was going to be a problem for me because 
I was beginning to have issues and doubts about the leadership at the denominational level. So going to another church that might be led by the same person who, in my mind, had made an extremely suspect decision to break a family apart and have them live in separate homes for no other reason than keeping the busybodies in one or two different congregations, quote unquote, happy, completely unacceptable. But all the same, we did the diligence of visiting another church. And my wife told me at the end of that Sunday, that church that was closest to us, that they reminded us a lot of the church we just left, only maybe three years earlier or two years earlier, and inevitably on the same course toward a lot of the same nonsense, beginning to have a crisis about their history, their legacy, their building, and not necessarily being the most welcoming place to a group of strangers, even strangers who shared a lot in common in terms of their worship pattern and their belief systems and their creeds. We weren't welcomed with the most open arms, let's put it that way. So the week after that, we visited another United Methodist Church, much further away, a bigger drive, but where some of the people from our small group had gone. On the middle of June that year, we took a trip to New York City. So on that particular Sunday, we weren't anywhere near a church that we could possibly attend. But I did find myself standing in the 9-11 Memorial. And I believe it actually was Sunday morning that we were there. And taking that moment in and frankly finding that moment to be quite prayerful. And it began to dawn on me that maybe what I was looking for, maybe the depth of spiritual experience or the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others didn't have to happen inside a church. If I could have that feeling of genuine spirituality standing at what's essentially a museum in in New York City, I might be able to have that same feeling if I was standing at a soup kitchen, for example, or doing other some other form of being the church rather than doing church. The next week we went to visit a non-denominational church, and I was very hesitant about non-denominational locations because I think having left the cocoon of Roman Catholicism where I was christened and United Methodism where I'd spent most of my life going to church, I realized I was encountering people who potentially had very different theological views. And I didn't have the ability to refer to a church book of discipline or even to a district superintendent if I thought the pastor was a little bit off track. That was one of the problems that we had. The other problem we eventually had with that church was that they had a The small group we would have attended, the Sunday school we would have gone to, was being led by somebody who had a very strong point of view that women shouldn't lead and that women perhaps shouldn't even speak in church. And that was going to be a significant problem, both for me and protecting my wife against that kind of misogyny, but also all of my most deepest and meaningful and spiritual relationships, with very few exceptions in my life, have been with women. It would be one very big lie to deny that that was somehow the truth and to go along just because I was trying to be part of some other congregation. It's absolutely not who I am. We visited one Baptist church during that summer in the midst of this, and it was to go to a church with the girl that was then my son's girlfriend. So it was almost a uh, a family outing, not a church we would have visited because of how far away they were. And I also felt like it was very unlikely that anything that was even loosely affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention was going to be a good fit for me, uh, not just based on my political views, but clearly because of my theological views as well. At that point after that visit, we took a week off. 
And I think from time to time it is helpful to do that. And it was at that time during that week off that I began to take some serious notes about what my questions might be. And I was actually beginning to align the questions with the churches that we were visiting. One of them was whether gender plays a role in the experience of worship. I mentioned earlier that there's been one episode of Inappropriate Conversations that intentionally dealt with the exact same topic as the current episode of Walk the Earth, and that was the one. I looked at gender from a Walk the Earth perspective, and then I turned around and looked at gender from a little bit broader, more of an Inappropriate Conversations perspective. And it was this Baptist church and also the non-denominational church with what I would describe as the sexist Sunday school teacher that led me to think, yeah, I've got, I've got some questions to answer. I may want to start writing them down. And this may not be something that works for inappropriate conversations. In fact, of the first half dozen questions that I wrote on a piece of, well, on a spreadsheet, of those first six, that was the only one that I thought really did work for inappropriate conversations as a format. And for that reason... Walk the Earth was born. To quickly go through and, and accelerate the process of talking about churches we visited, even before the show started, we went to a, an ad Evangelical Lutheran church. We picked Evangelical Lutheran as opposed to the other forms of Lutheran because it was the one that was, at least in its principles, at least on paper, was welcoming and accepting of gays and lesbians and all sorts of other folks that perhaps the split in Lutheranism left different branches of Lutheranism with the doors kind of tightly shut to those kinds of people. These churches tend to make a divide where they either view some people as potential members and other people as just a mission field, just them, uh, like missionary work, and others view the body of Christ as being bigger and far more complex than most uh, modern evangelical churches would acknowledge. And I thought it was ironic that Evangelical Lutheran was the name of the denomination, which in some ways seemed to be far more advanced than most of what you would call evangelicalism today. We also then included in our trip a different non-denominational church that I would describe as a mega church, really one of these big multi-tens of million dollar buildings and campuses, and went to a different United Methodist church where I knew the pastor personally. So in this case, I had no relationship with the church or the congregation, not much anyway, but I did know the pastor and other denominations that we included along the way somewhat willfully, right? We went to a church of Christ again, because they seemed to have the right attitude in terms of, so of social issues. We visited an Episcopal church and with my a friend from my wife's work, we went to what I would describe as a old style African American Baptist church. So not a Southern Baptist Church are not part of that convention necessarily, but a relatively small church with a almost overwhelmingly like 95% black population and a very different form of worship that, and I talk about that a little bit in past episodes of Walk the Earth. Along the same lines, more recently, we did a Walk for Justice, a kind of a spinoff of the Black Lives Matter movement is how I would describe it, with an African Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, again, a, a congregation that was you know, probably more than 50 or 60% African-American and worshipped with them. But most of the time in between here was with the church that we found that we ultimately joined, which turned out to be a Disciples of Christ church, and with other churches in that denomination just to get a feel for it. Uh, there might have been one visit to an Assemblies of God church along the way, but that was the building. The worship service was actually led by the pastor of the church that we ultimately joined. So it took about a year and maybe four months, but maybe a year and a half. But we finally did 
make a decision to move from one church to the other. But the reason I kind of tell this church search story is to emphasize that it was a legitimate possibility along the way that the answer for us might have been, don't join a church at all. Go to a place that doesn't have a building, so you don't have all these inane fights over the building itself or the parsonage or all that other sort of stuff. Go to a church that has a focus on outreach and recognizes that what we do is more important than what we say. I'll get to that concept here in a little bit with the different drummer. And maybe go to a church where the denomination doesn't run everything, while at the same time there still is a denomination. Because I legitimately felt vulnerable about false teachings and really bad readings of Scripture and interpretations of Scripture in a situation where the church was non-denominational, there was no ecclesiastical authority above it, and you could go as far off the rails as the current pastor would take you if you allowed it. But at the same time, I certainly was very uncomfortable with poor decisions being made at the bishop and sub-bishop level of one of America's largest mainline Protestant denominations. An interesting thing about Disciples of Christ, which we learned through making these church visits, was that they don't necessarily consider themselves to be a big mainline denomination. They describe themselves in many ways as being kind of a loose confederation of churches, as a matter of fact. Quasi-ecclesiastical, I guess, would be how I would describe their structure. Uh, Enough of a structure that if you wanted to call on a nearby local pastor from the same denomination to help, to fill in for a Sunday or whatever, you've got that available to you. But not necessarily the same kind of situation that I was in, where the district superintendent was getting regular weekly or bi-weekly visits from angry church members who wanted the pastor fired, in some cases, for no other reason than the color of the robe he chose to wear, or whether he had a tie on last Sunday. That was the sort of nonsense we were dealing with. It wasn't really even that theological. It's just that when I decided to leave one church and walk to another, the decision was based on the idea that I'm not going to go into another church where I would be embarrassed for my gay friends to have them in the pews next to me, because you never knew what you were going to get from the pulpit, there was a chance it might be profoundly unwelcoming. I remember having a conversation online with a friend of mine from the Netherlands who had heard enough about what I have to say on the internet and maybe heard enough of the podcasts to say, I'm not, I've left the church, I'm not part of the church, I consider myself at least agnostic, maybe an atheist, but if I were to go to a church, I'd want to go to a church with Greg, this Greg guy and his family. And at the time that Irwin said that, I thought to myself, I might be really embarrassed to have Irwin sitting next to me in the pew, because on any given Sunday, you never knew what you were going to get. You might get a lot of all non-Christians are going to hell kind of talk coming from a guest speaker or coming from a participant in a Sunday school classroom where that Sunday school was by design open-minded and open to all ideas. But would people recognize the unique walks, the unique situations, the special needs of a visitor, for want of a better word, or would they take an opportunity to be tone deaf or even hateful towards somebody who came to visit but was, quote-unquote, too different? In this case, bisexual and um, agnostic or even atheist. I can tell you with some authority that the church that I'm attending now, the church I'm frankly on some days surprised we joined, not because of the church or the congregation, but because I really thought there was an honest chance we would never join again, anywhere again. But I remember sitting in a chair one Sunday in the church that we're now attending, looking around saying, I would actually be very, very pleased if some of my friends from Europe 
or someone that I care about deeply from the gay community was attending this church at this time. This church embodies welcoming in a way that perhaps even exceeds the the semi-litmus test I'd set for myself. I mean, we knew we weren't going to join a church that was going to slam the sanctuary doors in the face of anybody. But there's a difference between not being unwelcomed and being truly welcomed. And that's an interesting, subtle distinction. Do you experience bouts of geekdom? If so, Anomaly may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's convention reports, cosplay topics, and commentary on Star Wars, Doctor Who, Star Trek, and other sci-fi fantasy genres provided a feeling of fullness while promoting optimal geekiness. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. Learn more at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Anomaly, your prescription for geek entertainment. So what are the questions? What were the answers? And what church visits inspired those questions? I started off with the simple stuff. Whether membership at a local church is as eternal as being part of the body of Christ. What does it mean to be part of a church? The church we left behind felt like you were part of their congregation, their building. Even parts of their building were more important than other parts of their building. It was about them. It was inwardly focused. And my attitude was no. Uh, when, if you want to be Christian in the sense of a Christ follower, in, ten, in the sense of being part of the body of Christ, that's got nothing to do with any local church or congregation and certainly has nothing to do with the building. Then we went to visit that other church that was closest to us. And that raised for me the question of whether the church is a building and the traditions built there. Now, the answer to this question is obviously no, but the question did come to mind because we probably were going to be joining a church that had a different building, a building with a history that I wasn't a part of. And it's undeniable that for some churches, that building is a really crucial part of the legacy of who they are. And I remember being a kid and knowing my church and knowing its building in a way that was really a little bit upsetting to me when we switched churches right in the middle of junior high school, I guess would be how I'd put that. But now I'm going to a church that doesn't have a building. We meet in a community health and wellness center. When I go to church on Sunday morning, I go in gym clothes. I exercise, a shower off, change into very casual attire, and go to church right afterward in the same place. So the building, while undeniably important, isn't the church. Then I asked whether a sermon is fundamentally the sharing of word and witness. Because I had been a lay speaker at the church we left behind, and now I was going to be going into places where I didn't have the credentials or even the opportunity to speak. That did change at some point along the way, but I still don't speak in church. I still don't share a witness or a message anywhere near as often as I used to when we were part of the church we left behind. Whether the message itself differs inside versus outside the sanctuary uh, the, to me, the question there was that experience of standing at the 9-11 memorial uh, and that experience being just as worshipful as the churches that we had been visiting as we'd popped around to see some of them. That episode was released in October, but it really had a lot to do with what was going on in the month of June. The fifth question was whether Sunday school hour is the best type of small group. And it's interesting because when I went to church as a kid, Sunday school was mandatory. It wasn't optional. I sometimes went because it was important for my parents for me to go and not because it was all about me. But we took the heart and soul of my Sunday school group, this this group that met Sunday morning and called itself unscripted, 
and would literally go anywhere that the questions of anybody who attended took us. When we stopped attending that church, a lot of the people, not all, but a lot of the people who went to that Sunday school wanted to continue to meet. And for a period of time, every Friday or every other Friday, we were meeting in my home. We settled into an every other Friday pattern for probably the first full year of the church search, because it wasn't just a church search for us. Some of those people had left the church even prior to us leaving, and some left shortly after we did. When I began attending the church that we've now subsequently joined, it raised some interesting questions because the informality of that church was exactly what I was looking for, but also somewhat jarring. And it led me to two different questions. One was whether there's any one correct style of a ritual, including communion and baptism. And the other one was whether the old church, the pre-Reformation type church ritual, is better than modern or contemporary worship. Arguments over worship was one of the big things that took the church that we were attending before completely off the rails. It got people at each other's throats, if you will. And I found it all to be very silly, because I have an appreciation for high church and formal church and church in foreign languages, just as much as I do church that is, quote-unquote, speaking my language. In other words, it's not all about me. But I did have to get used to ritual being managed differently. When we went to that Baptist church with my son and and his then-girlfriend's family, they did a baptism, and it, it had been a long time since I'd seen anybody baptized by immersion. Both the Roman Catholic tradition for infant baptism is sprinkling, that christening is sprinkling, and for the United Methodist Church, that's a denomination that's open to all kinds of options, but sprinkling tends to be the most common form. But in this Baptist church, it's not a real baptism in their minds unless you're completely under the water. And so it had been a while since I'd seen the ritual done that way. But on the Sunday we happened to visit them, there also happened to be a baptism. And it brought back some memories of uh, going all the way back to my childhood, being in a Baptist church and seeing a baptism done in the course of Sunday worship. It had been a long time. In between that exploration of small group and the exploration of ritual, in the November, late November episode, I took a look at whether gender plays a role in the experience of worship. I wanted to deal, on the one hand both politically with what key GOP political candidates and others, politicians, had been saying about women and policies related to women. But I also wanted to look at what the church has historically done, because you do find from one Protestant denomination to another a huge variety in the kinds of roles that women have inside worship. I was part of a United Methodist congregation, and women were pastors, even bishops. It wasn't a big deal. But the United Methodist Church is basically an American reformation, if you will, of the Church of England. And it was really only in the last few months that the Church of England has decided that women are allowed to be bishops at all. So there's a big variety there. And I wanted to explore that in as much detail as I could. And to do it right, I actually had to split it up and talk about the scriptural aspect of it on Walk the Earth and talk about the more political, more personal aspect of it on Inappropriate Conversations. But the conclusion from a Walk the Earth perspective was clear. If a woman's not allowed to lead in worship, if a woman's not allowed to shepherd a church, that's not a church I'm going to join. And if the decision comes from the denominational level, that's not a denomination I need to waste any more time with. I mentioned earlier we went to a Baptist church once, didn't need have any need to go again. We visited most of those non-denominational churches we visited. We saw them once. We didn't have a need to go again. 
And gender played a role in all of that. Because I'm not just talking about my feelings about what the church should do with regard to male versus female and female participation in leadership. It doesn't even get into the question of transgender, which I'm going to attempt, at least I'm planning to attempt, later this year. We'll see. Sometimes you get into a month like September with a good idea of what the inappropriate conversations topics are going to be. And something really wonderful happens and you have a great experience and you blow up the schedule and decide to deal more directly with, well, what does it mean to share a walk the earth with a group of people who have no idea who I am and have not heard any of these questions before? It might lead me in the month of September to spend a little time in this show talking about the history of Walk the Earth and a little bit in the next show talking about these experiences. We'll see how it goes. Then, finally, beginning of 2014, I began to get into the nuts and bolts of what my serious issues were, began to get a little more eh, confrontational, if you will, about things that had to be right, it had to be done right if I was going to join a church. I'll hit two or three of these questions back to back, because I think you'll see where they line up with social justice issues, I guess would be the way I would word it. Whether we can call a church a home if children must know their place within its walls. The church we left behind had a lot of problems with children and children participating in worship. And one of the question marks I had about the Evangelical Lutheran Church we visited more than just a few times was where they were with how they handled children and what, how they handled women and the role of women in the church. You can't just assume that because the pastor is a male, there's a problem there. You, the best you can do is look for signs. And we never did attend Sunday school hour with any of these churches, per se, because we didn't have kids anymore. So there really wasn't going to be a good way for me to just send my kids to the Sunday school and have them tell me what they experienced there. Because by this point in time, our kids were grown and in college. Uh, even by the time the end of our search happened, grown and out of college in one case. So, oh, the other questions along this line. Whether a the condemnation of a denomination based on its lack of prejudice is really more of an endorsement. We had people pull, our, pull us aside and say, I don't think you should waste your time going to a church of Christ. Why shouldn't I waste my time going to a church of Christ? Well, they're welcoming the gays. All right. Sounds like a really good reason to visit the Church of Christ, not a reason to avoid the Church of Christ. And so I did a little bit of online research and began, I went to places like the Christian Research Institute, which, to be blunt, has a past different drummer on inappropriate conversations because the, the organization does a good job fighting cults and fighting a lot of aberrant Christian views. They're no more a fan of televangelists like Benny Hinn than I am, which is a good thing. But the Christian Research Institute also has a lot of problem with homosexuality and with gays being part of active church membership and life. And they're against gay marriage. They're against the ordination of homosexuals. They probably would have no problem with a church that has a two-tiered system of what kind of member you're allowed to be based on your sexuality or who you're in love with, I guess would be the way I'd word it. So what I did was I just flipped it on its head and I said, well, let me do the research in that other camp. Let me go find out. Which denominations would I be told by people in the religious right I shouldn't waste my time with? And then go and waste almost all my time there. And that really paid off. Because there were other denominations we could have visited, but it would have been a waste of time. I remember being on an Alaskan cruise in the middle of this particular, like not this past summer, but the summer before, with my wife and with some of our friends. And, and at one of the meal times. Somebody you know, striking up conversation because at dinner you get seated with almost whomever, so it's, it's a good opportunity to mingle with strangers. And my wife brought up the podcast. I I tend not to. I'm 
I'm not that good at shameless self-promotion, I guess would be the way I would put it. But my wife brought up the podcast, and we were talking about it because they, they seemed to be interested in our spirituality, and um, so we shared that. And they were Mormon. And the woman asked me directly, said, well, have you attended any of, of the uh, Latter-day Saints churches? And I had to find a really nice and gentle way to say, no, I haven't, because I want a church where women can be fully participating in leadership, and I want a church where gays and lesbians are completely welcome in all aspects, including every level of sacrament, including marriage. And, you know, I didn't want to, I, what I told her, to put it gently, was I said, I didn't want to lead a Mormon congregation on. I didn't want to make them think that my wife and I might join them and become part of their voice if there seemed like there was no chance that could possibly be true. It sounds harsh, but it's a lot less harsh than maybe the words I would have shared with a Southern Baptist in the same kind of conversation. So that led me to think, and this is around March of uh, 2014, this led me to think that whether the things we don't discuss in church is strangling our ministry. Because that was the reason I started that unique Sunday school class in the church we left behind. There were so many things that you didn't feel like you were allowed to talk about. And not talking about those things, and bringing that up here in the 12th Walk the Earth, the, the first dozen, was really important to me. Because we weren't going to join a church where you couldn't have a conversation about drugs and alcohol and sexuality. It just wasn't going to happen. And even though we had narrowed our focus toward churches that seemed to be good churches to consider joining because the religious right hated them, well, there's still it's still going to vary wildly from one denomination to another, from one congregation to another as well. Then I hit what has since been topics related to saying, all right, I, I like this church we're going to. We found them in maybe September, October of the year before, and now we're you know, to the point of having gone there off and on in the midst of visiting other churches for a few months, do we like them enough to join? And it raised more questions for me, whether the concept of tithing applies to the giver or to the receiver. In other words, even if you believe that there is this notion of tithing that is somehow a biblical mandate, that doesn't appear to be true, by the way, but if there was some magic 10% number that was valuable and true, isn't that about me as a giver? And I've had pastor friends who would say, no, the 10% is about that much going to me as the church. It's paying the pastor's salary. It's paying the electric bills. And that's got to be the 10%. I said, I disagree with that. I mean, we're visiting a ton of different churches and we're spreading our giving out. We're giving to the churches that we're visiting because we weren't giving through a local congregation anymore. And my attitude was, if we're giving the same amount we would have had we not left that other church but spreading it out over lots of different churches and also spreading it out among charities. To me, that giving that makes a difference, like giving to the food bank, for example, is in some ways more ministerial than a lot of what was going on in a lot of churches, sad to say. So we looked at the question of tithing. Then we asked whether, does membership really need to focus on one church? Is it about fidelity to one congregation or should we just consider visiting lots of different churches, finding three or four we like. And if we couldn't find what we were looking for in just one church, would it be okay to spend time with lots of churches and just have that be the way that we're, we're members of a greater body of Christ that way, perhaps? We asked that question, and I came away with the answer that it, that was going to be okay, that membership doesn't have to focus on a single church. And then I looked at the question from a digital perspective, whether equipping virtually can effectively lead to an actual outreach. And it dawned on me, I, I was actually, the time I did this question was thinking about it. This is really one of the first questions where there wasn't one particular church in mind. 
Instead, here, I was thinking about the Take Him With You podcast and a community, a congregation called Connection in Washington State and one in Dallas, Texas, greater Dallas area called Novitas, where we were listening to their podcasts and reading their posts on social media. And it occurred to me that I probably had more individual points of contact with pastors or people playing a pastoral role than anybody who was still going every week to the church we left behind. In other words, I was typically hearing more than one sermon, or at the very least more than one witness or more than one message in any given week, because I was interested in those people. Rick Moyer, the pastor at Take Him With You, the digital pastor, if you want, for want of a better word, leading that podcast that he describes as spiritual but not religious, has been named a different drummer. In fact, he was named a different drummer in the episode that brought the Inappropriate Conversations podcast to the attention of Greetings from Nowhere, which ultimately led to me meeting all of the people from Greetings of no- from Nowhere together and participating in a Pride 48 event just last month. That was the pastor who did it. So clearly, equipping myself virtually could lead to an actual outreach. It led to a face-to-face meeting with the people who are part of the Greetings from Nowhere podcast, but also dozens upon dozens of their friends in an incredibly, uh, well, in a meaningful event for me, let's put it that way. So then the questions I would have asked a pastor had we joined a church right then and there, end of June, year year or so ago, uh, leading up to joining a church somewhere around October or so. And during that time, these were whether maintaining a hierarchy of sins is itself unbiblical and sinful. In the New Testament, the book of James clearly says this, that there is no hierarchy of sins. And yet, anybody who didn't know that, anybody who wasn't that familiar with the New Testament, who wasn't part of a healthy congregation, who just took their news about Christianity through the evening news or the talk shows or the televangelists, would surely think that there is a hierarchy of sins and would probably find that the worst of all the possible hierarchy of sin is being uh, either gay or gay-friendly would be a problem for them. But the church that we're now attending has got this answer right. There is no hierarchy of sins. So then we got serious about joining. And I asked myself whether the concept of a home church is necessary or merely particularism. And what I decided was that, to me anyway, the concept of home church was necessary. It didn't mean that I was wrong a few months earlier with the answer that you could visit lots of churches, that you didn't have to focus on a single church, that your fidelity wasn't to the congregation you're joining. I still think that's true. But for me and my wife, we'd found a church we liked enough that becoming part of a home church again was necessary. So what were the deficiencies of that church? Well, Sunday school. Hard to manage a vibrant Sunday school program when you don't really have a building. So the strength of being a church without a building and not having all that baggage and um, not feeling like you've got an anchor weighing you down when you try to go out into the world and walk the earth and reach people did have the corresponding problem of it's really hard to have a robust education program when you don't really have the rooms and the times to do it with. So I asked whether the Sunday school calendar should follow the school year, including a dormant period for summer months, because we were in that dormant period for summer months and I wasn't sure what they were going to do when it came to educating young adults and preparing people for what we call confirmation class, uh, being old enough to join the church on your own. Uh, Well, how do you do that? How do you tell a kid what the church is all about or 
answer their questions about the Bible if there's not a really good way of doing Sunday school anymore? That came up as a question. Whether faith can abide superstition and where to draw the line between the two. I took a look back at the church we left behind and realized that a lot of the things that were that, that made me hesitant to invite my non-believing friends to visit me inside that congregation was that a lot of what was going on inside that building was superstition. It wasn't faith. Similar to that, the question of prayer. Whether travel, health, rain, and other hopes should be the primary focus of prayer. It's a question that a lot of Christians wrestle with. Is prayer just asking God for stuff? But here's the thing. If your worldview is like mine, if you believe that God lives in an, in an eternal now and is outside the realm of time and therefore has a different relationship with cause and effect, if you believe that, then asking God for something that's about to happen, asking God to help your team score a touchdown, stops making sense. And yet... Most of what people ask for, most of what they seek when they're praying, is exactly that. Somebody has cancer. I'm worried about their surgery. Uh, it's been too dry this summer and we need some rain. Uh, stuff like that. And I'm not saying that those prayers of supplication are in any way inappropriate. I just didn't feel like they needed to be the primary focus. That it's okay if I share with God that I'm worried about people. Either because... I've met them, and I've found them incredibly encouraging and equipping, and I have incredible hopes for their near future like Eric. Or I've met them, and they've got a serious health concern, and I'm worried about them, and I want good things to happen, and positive turns to happen in terms of you know, physical illness and fighting off of disease, in the, in the case of maybe somebody like Wendy. It's okay for me to be bringing those into prayer, partly because it's about who I am. It's what's worrying me. And also because I do acknowledge that I, I would not be shocked if somebody who was beyond time could nevertheless intervene within time. But I think it's a bigger question than that, this idea of prayer. That most of what you hear from prayer, most of what people who want prayer in schools want, is in fact extremely naive. It's either more like a pledge of allegiance and nothing more. Or it's some sort of a strange sort of an incantation. It's, all, it's in some ways closer to Harry Potter than it is to the Gospel of Matthew. My opinion, anyway. And then, the question that hits me every election year. Whether the church has a vital role to play in national elections. It seems like every time there's a presidential election in particular is the worst. Where I just leave the thing, the world would be a better place if the church just got out of the politics business altogether. But... There's got to be some role for the church to play, and unfortunately, the church has turned itself into a makeshift political action committee, which is the worst possible role for so many churches to be playing. So we joined this church, and we joined this church pretty much around the time I knew what my answer was to that question. We actually joined before that election Sunday, but we were nevertheless joining at the time that that was the next question in the queue for me, which meant that it answered the question after it. Because I started this search with 21 questions kind of written down. Some of them were added over time, but I pretty much started with most of these first 20 or so identified, knowing that, well, I've got a podcast that could last for at least a year now because I've got more than a year of monthly questions. But the last one was in lots of ways the first one. And maybe I'll stop there. Maybe I won't deal with a look back on 2015, or at least I won't talk much about them, because those are recent episodes. But on 21, released in December of last year, whether serving in a food bank or a soup kitchen, 
is more worshipful than what we call church. I started this thing with that question in mind, knowing there was a really good chance that the Walk the Earth podcast was ultimately going to lead me to walk away from the church. But it wasn't going to lead me to walk away from my faith. It wasn't going to lead me to walk away from spirituality. The most aggressive thing I could say that it would lead me to do would be to stop trying to align my resources with other people inside a congregation and to simply start spending more of my time, including weekends, serving at places like the food bank. That that is in many ways more worshipful. It is definitely more ministerial than most of what happens in churches. So my answer to this question was ironically, of course, serving at a food bank is more worshipful than what a lot of people call church. Yet at the same time, I'm going to feel like I'm more effective if I'm doing this with other like-minded people. The trick was finding those like-minded people. I want to hit the different drummer now, because this has been about walking the earth and the distinction between walking the earth and walking away. And maybe I'll hit the last remaining questions that we've covered very briefly as a bit of an index on the other side. For anyone who's new to the Inappropriate Conversations podcast, this is a bit of an irony for me, right? I realize I'm introducing people to walk the earth and its past through the vehicle of Inappropriate Conversations, but if there's new listeners, a lot of those new listeners might be completely new to Inappropriate Conversations as well. Let me respect that by saying that Inappropriate Conversations as a podcast is a little different from Walk the Earth if that's your gateway to me. Walk the Earth is about this process of switching churches and specific questions related to a church search. Inappropriate Conversations predates it by many years. It's the idea that keeping politics, religion, sex, drugs, rock and roll, pop culture, keeping these things isolated from each other is not healthy. It hasn't served us well. Christians who think that they should only listen to Christian music and only watch Christian movies and only read the Bible are making a huge mistake. There's a big world out there, and it's a world that we're supposed to be interacting with. But likewise, people who say that the second you bring up anything related to your personal faith in a conversation about politics or popular culture, you should be shut down because we've got to build a wall there, too. Listen, I I believe in the wall of separation between church and state probably more than almost anybody else I know. But I don't confuse a wall between government and church as a way of saying that we're not allowed to talk to each other. Me, as a common everyday ordinary citizen, ought to be able to talk to any other common everyday ordinary citizen about anything that we're willing to talk with each other about. And I feel like inappropriate conversations is a good way of starting those conversations, which blur the lines. The other thing that this show does, though, is a different drummer every single episode. Short of the first two, one where I introduced inappropriate conversations and talked about my philosophies with really bad sound quality, and the second one where I, the whole purpose was introducing the idea of different drummer, every other episode from the third one on has been both. Here's a topic and here's a different drummer, and usually the topic and the different drummer have a relationship with each other. It's either that I've got a topic in mind and I've gone to find somebody who's inspired me that connects with it, or just as often... The different drummer is what inspired the topic in the first place. I have not had Francis of Assisi on my list of potential different drummers for years and years, and I'm just getting around to him now. Uh, He's somebody that I respect enough to name a different drummer, but wouldn't have put in my top 100 in terms of people I've got to do a shout-out for, which is basically what the different drummer is. It's, It's a tip of a hat to someone who's 
uh, either their life or their words or their art has left a lasting influence on my life. I mentioned in the body of this particular show that I was christened in the Catholic Church and probably spent off and on the first six or seven years of my life going to both Roman Catholic Church services and United Methodist Church services. And around the time that it was going to be necessary for me to decide, am I going to go down that altar boy first communion path with Catholicism or down the line of confirmation courses and membership with United Methodism, I had to make a choice. So I've always had an interesting relationship, I guess, between that Protestant Catholic divide because in many ways I've, I've been baptized twice. Once the Catholics would describe as a christening, the other the Methodists would describe as a confirmation. And I kind of own both of those to one degree or another. The other thing I tend to do with different drummers, though, is that it's not dry history. History is not necessarily my strength. I don't hesitate to use resources that are as loose as Wikipedia to just basically answer the question for people who might not know, who is this person? And then spend more of the time talking about why they're the different drummer. So no one's going to come to a different drummer segment from me learning, quote-unquote, all they need to know about Thomas Jefferson. I pick him from my past as a joke almost because Thomas Jefferson as a different drummer only got basically a, a single-sentence bio and three quotations because I was so keyed up about the topic, I didn't leave myself any time for the different drummer. But there have been episodes where the different drummer has dominated the conversation, both through this segment and in the topic. So uh, this is going to be more of a representative example. So to answer the question, who is Francis of Assisi? He was born Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardone, but nicknamed Francesco, lived from 1181 or 1182 through 1226, dying at the age of 44. According to Wikipedia, he was an Italian Catholic friar and preacher. He founded the Men's Order of Friars Minor and the Women's Order of St. Clair and the Third Order of St. Francis for men and women not able to live up to the lives of itinerant preachers. His basic gist was that he was so moved by the poverty that he witnessed and things where the established order, the, uh, the leading, the ruling elite, for example, were somewhat blind and indifferent to the needs of those people who were suffering, that he chose to create a religious order that was a direct outreach to those folks. And even to this day, a lot of people who come into the priesthood from a Franciscan direction start as Franciscans and become priests later. It's their service in the world. It's what they do with their hands and feet that ultimately lead them to the place of being equipped for leading in ministry as a priest through their mouth and their mind, for want of a better word. I mentioned Francis in this context because Francis dealt head-on with the question of what was more important, our ideology or our behavior. And if there is a divide there, if that's not a false dichotomy, Francis tipped the scale over directly toward behavior. Some of the quotes that I think are famous, there are, of course, some quotes about Francis. They probably weren't said or written by him, the most famous being the serenity prayer, viewed widely by scholars as being not actually his words, but nevertheless interesting that people have been so willing to attribute those words to him. Here are some quotes, though, that were attributed to him. Start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. Or, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Talk about a walk-the-earth relevant quote. And perhaps my favorite from Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. We are hearing today 
far too many words from people who should be using their ears and their mouths in better proportion, listening twice as often as they speak, in other words. The last thing I want to share on Francis, though, is directly about this concept called orthopraxy from Richard Rohr, an article that I found online just this week, in fact. It's funny how that happens. You decide Francis of Assisi is going to be a different drummer, and suddenly you start getting uh, information totally independent. I mean, my friend in Oklahoma who shared this link had no idea that I was planning on St. Francis being a, uh, a different drummer. But he, this article was shared with me, and it's called Orthopraxy. Imitating Jesus is more important than worshiping Jesus. And just to define that term a little bit, if you think of orthodoxy being all about this idea of right belief, orthopraxy might be defined better as right action. We're putting what we do ahead of what we believe. And this might cut to the chase of the very problem that I think evangelical Christianity in America is facing today. People have become so obsessed with right ideas and right belief that they have done abominable, horrible, anti-Christian things in the name of protecting their belief system. Quoting Rohr, For St. Francis, if Jesus himself was humble and poor, then the pure and simple imitation of Jesus became his life's agenda. In fact, he often did it in an almost slavishly literal way. Francis was a fundamentalist, not about doctrinal scriptures, but about lifestyle scriptures. For example, take nothing for your journey, or eat what is set before you, or work for your wages, or wear no shoes. This is still revolutionary thinking for most Christians, although for Francis, it was, quote, the very marrow of the gospel, using his phrase. At the end of this short article that I saw, uh, it says a quote from Pope Paul VI, saying, The world will no longer believe teachers unless they are, first of all, witnesses. You've got to, in other words, you've got to be somebody living up to Francis's ideal of preaching the gospel at all times, but only when necessary using words. If what we say doesn't line up with what we do, then we're not a witness to anything that could even remotely be called Christ. Other questions in the most recent year of Walk the Earth include whether the prophets of old have been or need to be updated by contemporary prophecy, whether the church should have a point of view about sexuality, whether drinking alcohol should be permitted as Christians celebrate and interact, whether Easter Sunday is the most important day in the church calendar, whether the Holy Spirit deserves more recognition as God working in our lives, whether sanctuary means the same thing today as the center of Christian worship has in the past, whether a sense of patriotism invalidates the separation of church and state or similar founding principles in the United States of America, whether a happily married Christian should attend a pride event with gay friends and allies, and most recently, whether you can ever go back to this moment in history. If you take nothing else from this episode of Inappropriate Conversations, please strongly consider listening to Walk the Earth 30. If it's the only Walk the Earth that you do, it's the most recent one, live from Pride 48 in Las Vegas, answering the question of whether you can ever go back to this moment in history. If you'd like to put some dialogue into this inappropriate conversation yourself, I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. I do read and answer email there. There's also a Facebook page for Inappropriate Conversations, listed as a cause, and also one for Walk the Earth, 
Walk the earth, you'll know you've found, because there's a single rose on a otherwise deserted beach on the cover art for that one. On Twitter, I'm also at IC underscore Greg, which I think should establish a pattern. For email, SoundCloud, Twitter, IC underscore Greg is the best way to reach out to me. Don't hesitate to do so. And thanks for listening. Music by Kevin McLeod.